more great shows or join the team at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Mascars, the Manchester United Tactical Podcast. I'm your host, Hader Ravani. I'm joined by Rob Blanchett, as always. Guys, give us a follow on at TF Mascars. Give myself a follow on at Hader underscore Ravani. And give Rob a follow on at underscore Rob underscore B. United were outclassed, outfought, outthought. Everything you can think about, Rob. We saw the absolute gulf in class between Manchester United and Man City. And this has been happening for a decade now. And it's almost come to a head. That 4-1 defeat was humiliating, if I'm completely honest with you. The players should be ashamed of themselves. Head down, walking, City passing the ball around, doing olés. It was just awful. For 60 minutes, you know, the tactics were spot on. But it just fell apart. And Man United spent $1.2 in the last 10 years or so. City has spent a similar amount. And we have nothing to show for it compared to Manchester City. A huge job for the next manager. And we're going to talk about the possible next manager. A huge job in terms of fixing and reversing the issues that we've got. United in a really difficult position. And we're going to break it all down today with a level head. Because there's going to be a lot of screaming, a lot of shouting from other channels. And we're not going to do that today. But until the Glazers go, realistically, Rob, United are going to be in this horrible, vicious cycle. Well, we can't get rid of the Glazers. First point. Second point, 1.2 billion spent by both football clubs in the last 10 years. What's the difference there? City bought good players. Man United bought shirt sellers. So we've talked about this on this show before. We're going to talk about it again today and kind of apply the science. You can't get rid of the Glazers. So again, it's 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 a kind of it's a cycle that we we can't really discuss. It's up to the Glazers to find the answers. So this is the whole thing is that we've seen it in football clubs in the past. Liverpool did it. We talked about Manchester City did it about how you restructure. You have to find ways to win through your structure. So we'll go into that later on when we talk about new manager. You called it an embarrassment and it was an embarrassment. And I think the thing is, is that when you look at the two teams on the football pitch, there is a, a gulf in class when you look at quality versus application. So you can have all the most beautiful footballers in the world in your team, but unless you apply the tactics correctly for 90 minutes, even if you don't do it for five minutes, Haydar, or 10 minutes, there's a good chance you'll lose the game. But what's happening with Manchester United is that these players don't apply it for like whole halves of football. You know, so the first half, they did all right. They got it right. You know, they, they did the counter press. It was a 4-2-2 uh, shape. We'll go into that a little bit more in a minute. Typical Gagan pressing shape. It wasn't a 4-4-2, as some people have said. Um, and United were rocking and rolling. When they were winning the ball in the midfield, they were getting off and they were doing it. They were ready. You could see it was a, it was a game plan. And Man City uh, were okay. They were the slightly better team in that first half. They could have gone in with a bigger lead. But at the same time, it could have been level at halftime, couldn't it? I think we're all, all kind of agreed on that. But the second half, we saw all the bad things that we've talked about in this show for the last year all manifest itself in like one big go. 
the issues with Wambasaka, the issues with Lindelof, the issues with Maguire, how they work together as a chemical outfit with the back four, how McFred struggle in those moments because they've got to look after everyone. And then you kind of look at the attack and it's non-existent because you can't get the ball forward anymore. Manchester United had an XG of zero in the second half. Now, we can sit here and say, pontificate, oh, it's not acceptable, it's not acceptable. But we have to look at why. What is going on with Man United? Is this tactical or is this the players? It's the same thing we always do, trying to find that swinging pendulum about where is it, in the middle somewhere? No, it's the players. It's the players now. So I think with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, there were right reasons for us to talk about some of the tactical anomalies, being very stuck to 4-2-3-1, not finding ways to dig yourself out of trouble. But ironically, Hayda, last year when we were talking about that, Man United came second in the league. So what's happened this year? We can't do it all in one show and we're not going to. But I think you can kind of compare and contrast what happened against Man City yesterday and see where the big golfing class is with his players because of the big difference is work rate. There's a big difference between our Man City work and work to the final moment. And you even saw Pep in the last five minutes orchestrating the band from the halfway line because you want his players to work harder. And they'd won the game already. And Manchester United just cannot do it. Now, that is not Ralph Rangnick's fault. It's not Ralph Rangnick's fault. And it's not a tactical issue. That's about players taking responsibility for their jobs. You hit the nail on the head. And something I actually was saying to a few people today is that Liverpool and Manchester City might have some of the best players, Rob. They also work harder than anyone else. They're smart. They're well-drilled. And, you know, Ranić did set United up to, to press high. We were compact in that first half. You know, it, it, was, it was a decent performance. It just absolutely fell apart. On the screen, we've obviously got the graphic here from who scored. And we're just having a look at, uh, you know, the starting formations. And Man United did go with uh, Bruno Fernandes. He wasn't playing alone up front as a false line. It was quite odd, wasn't it, to see him and Pogba both actually up top. I thought that was a little odd. I didn't think Pogba looked comfortable, to be honest. You know, I, I'm, I wasn't too sure about him pressing at the top of the pitch. But, uh, look, United, every time they got the ball in that first half, they were able to work it nicely. They had some nice chances. I mean, Sancho scored a fantastic goal. Should have got a second one, which arguably was easier. But there was some, some nice combination play in, in the final third. But time and time again, Rob, this defence, Wambasaka, Lindelof, Maguire and Tellez, shocking. Almost, the, the you know, the two goals for De Bruyne were almost carbon copy. City overloaded those wide areas. You know, they, they played in the channels. And it was so easy for them to create chances. United... Unfortunately, you know, doesn't matter how good you are going forward, if you can't keep the ball out of the net in your own net, then you're never going to win football matches. Yeah, look, tactically, United played with the mid block, and that's exactly what they should have done. They played with the mid block, they met Manchester City's midfield, they tried to make sure City couldn't overload. And what happened as the game went on, United became more tired, and they were they were just getting completely done by overloads on the left hand side. The whole game took place in front of Victor Lindelof and Aaron Wambasaka the whole match. This is where you win the game and you lose the game. If you get that bit right, if you can fight them and if you can stay in possession of the ball there and stay in position when you need to be, then you can stop Manchester City. The problem was they just got fragmented over and over again. So you saw that. The mid-block, you said there about Paul Pogba. It didn't really surprise me that Paul Pogba was playing in that position. Now, we know he's not a centre-forward, but you're playing two false positions. That's really what the 4-2-2-2 is. Kind of two sixes and four tens. 
That's really the methodology of playing that and about overloading yourself, trying to get the ball and win it and go quickly. Now, when Man United scored, it worked perfectly, didn't it? They got the ball. Paul Pogba was wide. He gets it across to Jaden. Jaden takes the touch, comes inside, scores. Goal. That's what you're looking for. So it did work in that moment. The problem was is that Man City reset and then took over the game. And Man United had no answers to it. I mean, this comment here from Juan saying that since Ralph came in, we've looked like we have a plan. But once the opposition scores, the weak mentality of the team begins to show and we are defeated. It's as we said earlier, as you said earlier on in the 100%. show, that what you're seeing right now is that you're seeing there is a plan. We are more structured. We went to Manchester City, Rob, in that first half and we went and played. We, you know, we we were we were dangerous and it's the mentality, the same thing, the Jekyll and Hyde. First half play well, second half play poorly. Something I do want to touch upon is that uh United couldn't deal with City's sustained pressure, you know, around United's box. And that's something which causes problems for our defenders and it makes them make mistakes. And they are just littered with mistakes. It is just it's so frustrating because Every single week, it's the same mistakes that are being made by the players at the back. And at, at what point? We will talk about, you know, three players that should probably get sold when the new manager comes in. But how are you meant to build as a manager like Ranić when the players are just not, you know, learning from those mistakes consistently? It just kills It kills momentum and it kills the side. Well, this is what Ralph has to do when he's the coach, is to find a way to teach these guys what to do, but then give them the authority and empower them to iron those mistakes out. That's how it works, you know. So we've talked about what Aaron Wamasaka does well and doesn't do well until we're blue in the face. We've talked about Victor Lindelof in a in a very positive manner this year. But the issues are still there, Haydar. These players make these mistakes over and over and over and over. Again, it doesn't stop. And there were core weaknesses that what happens is when they occur that they lose all their motivation and power because they don't trust each other anymore. And that's the problem. So when you've got 11 guys out there on a football pitch and you've got to go and, you know, you know, take swords out together and fight and go for it, you have to trust each other. And what you saw yesterday was that trust just dissipate very quickly when the mistakes set in because it's the same problems, the channel between those two on that right-hand side, outside and inside, Wambasaka, do I stick or twist? Lindelof, do I go forward and meet the player who's a false nine and coming deeper? Or do I hold my position? Now, these players should know all of this. In your preparation, you know what Man City are going to do. You know why Man City are good. They are the best team in the world. So you've got to be perfect. But what you see with this Man United team is that, you know, are you close to perfection or not? It's not even close. It's not close. You've got to have your best game of the season against Man City or you're going to ship four. And that's just what happened. You know, so I do think, again, like United fans, you know, will be upset about individuals. I've heard a lot of Jive talked about Ralph and systems and all of these things. And it's crazy. You know, lots of people kind of, again, saying, you know, if Solskjaer was manager, it would be better. Nonsense. None of, none of this counts. None of this matters anymore. What really matters is how do you approach each game going forward? But what's the next manager going to do? Because does if Ten Hag was parachuted in today and was a manager, is this fixed? No, it's not because there's so many issues. So we're going to go through it and kind of look at, at why 
City won the game because I think obviously this is what this this podcast is about. But we're then going to kind of take it a little bit forward and say really the three that need to go quickly. And I'm talking about in the summer because it's about your wage bill. You have to balance your wage bill so you can then go and buy in the transfer market. But then we'll talk a little bit more also about Ten Hag because I think he's the undoubted front runner as it stands now. I think United are going a little bit cooler on Pochettino. It's not saying he won't get the job, but Ten Hag is definitely the favourite. But then you've got to give Ten Hag a chance. Because Ten Hag's actually very similar to Ranić, you know, a kind of expressive thinker, understands systems, wants flexibility and wants work, hard work. And this lot are still joggers. They love a good jog, don't they? You know, when Lindelof put his head in there and got beaten by Foden, he spun round and watched the play happen. He didn't run back. He just had a little jog back into the box. But they all do it. It's not just Lindelof. It's all of them. They all have that in them. So this has to change, doesn't it? Because it's a cultural change. And it has to happen in the next kind of six months. It's not going to happen overnight, but it's got to happen in the next six months. Otherwise, you start next season and you're miles off the top four. Very, very true. Guys, a lot of you in the chat in the live chat today. Do hit the like button, hit the subscribe button. If you see us on Twitter, Twitter as well, please give it a retweet. Uh, you know, all your support is really, really helpful for the show. I love the comment there about Dallas Cowboys and New York Yankees, because I've used that one before. We yeah. are the Yankees, definitely, 100 percent It's a huge, huge club, huge brand, but why can't you get it right on the pitch? Well, it's because of the ownerships. The ownerships do not find a way to win. So you can sell all the shirts until you're blue in the face and all the all the baseball caps saying Yankees on it. But does that mean you're a you're a top team? Not necessarily. Absolutely. And we've got the graphic up here from Sky Sports. I'm sure a lot of you who are watching yesterday saw this. And this was really damning. Since Manchester United won their last title in 2012-2013. Look at this, Rob. City have won four Premier Leagues. They've won 11 major trophies. United have won three. <laughs> that was all in the, the Jose and the LVG era. That's the even more crazy thing. And they were some pretty dour times at times. But really, you know, that second season in Jose, especially when we were going for the title, was, was, was okay. Um, looking at average points as well, you know, 84 average points for City per season, United 69. Two managers, City, United 5. And here's the one we were talking about earlier. The money spent pretty much exactly the same. And what have United got to show for it? Good comment here from Alan Rob saying, difference is Manchester City have football minds making decisions. United have bankers. Replacing Woodward with Arnold is useless because the Glazers should know better but don't care about winning trophies. And that's essentially where it starts. It's going to be interesting to see because, you know, um, Arnold has been saying some of the right things. I, look, I'll believe it when I see it, but he has been saying things that are a bit more encouraging than Woodward. You know, he wants to have a footballing structure and then the commercial structure is a commercial structure. I think a lot of it counts on who United bring in next because if they go and bring in someone and don't bring in, let's say, bring in Ten Hag and don't bring in the support and the structure around him, then he's just going to flounder like every other manager has since. And uh, that's why, you know, it's going to take it's going to take years, to be honest. We're looking at two or three years building it's what we thought was happening under Solskjaer we're looking at this squad now and it's, it's almost even worse the squad in terms of attitude than it was when Jose Marino went so it's very very difficult but let's move on now to to the game and uh this is uh you know one of De Bruyne's goals and calamity absolute calamity of let me look at the players look at Maguire lying across the floor shocking goal to give away so easy for uh Kevin De Bruyne back four Communication problems, mistakes, the same issues consistently. United have to replace these guys. They're not good enough for Manchester United. They're not good enough. And as, I think that's actually Tellers on the floor. As Harry just stood there watching the ball go in the back of the net after he dummied it. It went through his legs. 
and then it obviously went through his legs again in, 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 with one of the other goals. Um, the thing is, when you look at this, and the reason why I, I gave you the slide and sort of wanted to use this slide is to just show the difference in the organisation. Is that City there have got three players spaced out to make sure that that rebound goes in the back of the net. And Man United are just all over the place. And this is kind of how the game panned out, is that United just lost all confidence in themselves, you know, what they do. So they've got a good plan. We could see the plan was working. But yet in these vital moments, these crucial moments where even Scott McTominay said after the game, it's simplicity. City weren't doing anything like world class. It was just like get the ball wide double up on a man, cross the ball and put it in the net, like the real basics of football. So that City were not doing anything that was magical. It was just that Man United were not doing their jobs. So I feel sorry for David De Gea here because he's got literally no protection. And, and that's how the second half panned out, is that City found a way to exert their character over Manchester United's. And this is the thing about this team, is that they are soft. They lack characters collective character Haydar and individual characters forget the the days of Roy Keane and Brian Robson and we talk about these things with you know uh, with, with you know stars in our eyes and all of this forget all of that we're not talking about character in those in that mold we're just talking about going out there and being a bunch of footballers playing together that's all it is go out there trust each other do the work in the week and then end up on a football pitch and try your best. And, and again, you're going to get accused, aren't you, at the end of the game, that you didn't try. And I saw Scott McTominay was kind of after the game, they talked about it to him. And he said, you know, he didn't want to go down the route. He was like, he said, like, you know, we do care. We honestly do. But we failed. And that is what's important that they know they failed. So you've got to go and fix it, haven't you? But this is not the first time we've seen it through the Oligon and Solskjaer period this season, I'm talking about. We're now seeing it with Ralph Ranić, two very different coaches, two de very different approaches in terms of Ole, who gave the, the players cuddles and looked after them and led them, and Ralph, who's absolutely strategic. Rob, Rob can I just quickly interrupt you? Because the comment is exactly what uh, you're saying here. This is from yeah. Alan saying, problem is Jose had to go, but Solskjaer took it too far in the other direction by always protecting the players no matter what, uh, how clearly awful they were. There is zero accountability in that team. And that's exactly the point you're trying to make. It's difficult because I don't think Oli was doing it in a way. I think he was trying his best, you know, after Jose to almost put that arm around the shoulder. And that's how he felt was right. But these lads don't take any accountability at all. And unfortunately, you've got a bunch of spoilt footballers who, as soon as it gets difficult, the head goes down. As soon as they get dropped, they want to leave. How can you build a club, you know, or, or a successful team around people that aren't willing to, you know, um, aren't willing to take on the challenge and uh, fight for their place? I, th I think, you know, I really do want to kind of detach a lot of the kind of media narrative that we've heard today and off the back of the game to what is reality. Because I I'm not going to go down the route that I don't think the players care. I think the players do care. It's just about why are you not performing? This is kind of is in a nutshell. And the reason why I think it's difficult for this bunch of Man United players to show anything is that this manager is not going to be manager in two months. So what's the point in turning up for work and being your best? So, like, again, we would look at it and go, oh, yeah, but, you know, football, love the club, you know, love the badge. And this manager's not going to be a manager in two months. So what's the point? So this is how football clubs work. You know, I was talking to Mark Bostich about this in years gone by. He's on, on my other podcast. And we talked about it when, when Fergie left the first time and the United dressing room, who were all perennial winners, top players, 
always did it, all went, we're not doing anything now because he's leaving. And then when he stayed, they all went, oh, they all were really, you know, kind of upset and scared. Now, that was 25 years ago, Haydar, with the most successful team in history. So, <laughs> you know, now we've got a team that's not nearly as good as that. And people are saying, well, why is this happening? The reason why it's happening is Man United have created this situation. They put in an interim who is a very good tactical, technical coach, but you, you, you've killed him already. You chopped his legs off. He's a floundering. One. He's a floundering duck. That's it. It's his fault. It, it, like people, this, it's, people say it's his fault. Excuse me. And it's kind of like people say, well, you know, the tactics of this out of the other, you know, 4-4-2 this, 4-2-2-2 that. No, it's about how Man United set up the core of their team as a business and as a football club. And again, they've failed, haven't they? Because this is the reoccurring theme. Jose Mourinho got second and then didn't get the back in and got sacked. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer got second, got signings, you know, got Ronaldo, but came second last year, then got sacked. This is the pattern that Man United are working around. They gave this job to Ranić, and I still think that what Fred said the other day in the Champions League is the most telling part, where he said, yep, United brought in an interim manager. I don't really agree with it because it's difficult to know what you're supposed to be doing at the end of the season. And next summer, it's like which one of which one of us players will be sold and who will be staying. Now that's the that's the real narrative. So forget what you're reading in the press about Rashford wants to leave, Martial doesn't like being there, Donny van der Beek was upset. Forget all of that. The issue is the board and how the board structured a football club because they're they're the bosses. They're the ones who actually create the working conditions and I think that's a huge issue is that this lot are going well yep you know it didn't work for us this week but I am on 200 grand a week so I'll just wait till the next manager comes in and lots of footballers think like that and some Man United superstars in years gone by used to think like that yeah but Rob they can those players gone by have a little bit of credit in the bank they they won they won the lot they won it all I'm not saying it's right whether it's right wrong these lot have not achieved anything and There's no credit in the out. bank for anyone. If you lose games or you don't turn up for whatever reason, it's on you. Yeah, it is on you. So I'm not saying take the blame away from them. They're 100% to blame. But you've also got to put this into human terms about why it's not working. So it can't just be about Bruno Fernandes running around, throwing his arms up, running around. Because it doesn't win you games, hey, Doug. Rob, this isn't the first time this set of players have done that as a point. They did it with Exactly. Ollie. So this is on the players. And this is why we're going down this route. Because the whole point is that there's a human element to this. But it's also who is responsible overall. The Manchester United board. If you spend £1.2 million on players and you get the wrong players, that is on you. Don't just blame the players for results. Of course, you want them to play harder, you want them to be better, etc. You buy Ronaldo, the greatest striker of all time, and you tell the world, that's it, we're gonna we're gonna win the title now. No, you are not. You're not going to win the title because you're still making the wrong signings 10 years on. It's a vicious, vicious cycle. We're going to it move is. on now. And just before we do that, I just want to credit Y Scout because, uh, you know, they've done some fantastic graphics that we're going to use today. We're going to break that. Instead of breaking down each goal, we're actually just going to break down some key sort of, uh, you know, slides, aren't we, Rob, to yeah. show how Manchester City beat Manchester United. So, guys, as always, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, and, uh, you know, share this around with all your friends. But, Rob, let's start with this first graphic up here on the screen. <clears throat> United are in that, uh, you know, 4-2-2-2 shape. I've seen a lot of people, like we said earlier, saying 4-4-2. I, I didn't think it was a 4-4-2, to be honest. But as we said, City exploited those wide areas. And Grealish was actually a very 
interesting and a very smart move by Pep because he likes to occupy, you know, the sort of the half spaces or the channel. And uh, he's a look, he's an excellent, excellent dribbler. And, and Wam Saka had a very difficult side. Shao Cancelo, again, obviously bombing forward, uh, very technically gifted and Bernardo as well. Talk, talk to me a little bit about how City, you know, sort of got the better of Manchester United. And Ranjik didn't really, it's not that he didn't have an answer, but I think, you know, it, it was very, very difficult looking at, at both sides. You know, those wide areas are getting absolutely stretched. Yeah, so this is before Manchester United equalised. So City are 1-0 up. And you can see that at this stage, the possession was still about 50-50. Um, now, in the last 15 minutes of the game, Manchester United had, had possession of 8% of the ball. 8%, which is laughable, embarrassing, but really kind of showed how the game went. But just looking at the setup here, you can kind of see how the, the 4-2-2-2 works in terms of gagan pressing style. So what happens is that you, you create this kind of mid-block. So everything's in the middle there, isn't it? There's no width, really. The back four are pressing up high, but they haven't got anyone to mark. Foden's just kind of stood off in that false position. But as you mentioned there, Jack Grealish. Now, Jack Grealish hasn't been great for Man City, let's be honest. He's been all right, not been terrible, but he hasn't been a £100 million player. But what does Jack Grealish like to do? He likes to stand out on that left wing. That's what he used to do at Villa. He likes to get the ball in that position. So that's why he was played. Go and stand there and make Aaron Wamasaka look at you and make sure that you're there and scare him a little bit. Because why? Because Cancelo is going to overlap or run into that middle space there, talking about half spaces. When you look at the shape here of United in this 4 2 2 2, it was working at this point because they, they got the spacing correct. They didn't allow City to really play through them. But what City started to do towards the end of the first half and when they got their second goal was that they were creating overloads on the left. So as you just said there, Cancelo, Silva, Grealish, all within, you know, five, ten yards of each other. And then if you look where Foden is, that means City are outnumbering Lindelof and Wambasaka there four to two. Now, do I like those odds? No. What can you do to help that? Well, you could drop McTominay back in there. And that's really what Ralph was trying to do. But as we'll show later on with some of the other graphs, an impossible job for a number six to do, to go and make up the extra number because they're on the front foot and you're on the back foot. And there's a lot of space behind that Man United back four. What's the other problem? Your back four is slow, both mentally and physically. You've got no recovery pace. It means that if Grealish picks the lock, Foden's just going to go into the empty space, isn't he? And he's going to hurt you. But then you look on the other side here. Mares wasn't even really involved in the game at this point. Obviously, he got two in, in the match. But where De Bruyne is, and you can't mark him because the space between the lines of where Harry Maguire is, and I think on this side here where you've got Fred, that gap's about 20 yards. If you had a more athletic centre-back, he would be at least Varane. 15 yards further forward. Well, Varane or just someone else, anyone that can run. Haydar, this is the thing. The issue with Maguire is that all the things that he's good at, and he is good at some things, the one big thing that he's really bad at is running. His mobility is poor. Mobility so what's he doing poor. here? Yeah. So what's Ralph done here? Ralph's put them as a kind of, almost as a flat back four to look after each other, to look after the space. But ideally in this system, you want Maguire pushing up to De Bruyne because then Maris is taken care of by Tellez and your centre-back is taking care of the only other player that can break forward, which is De Bruyne. And that leaves then Lindelof one-on-one -on -one with Foden. So it helps, doesn't it? But United can't do that because their two centre-backs are slow. Now, you did lose Varane before the game to COVID. You lost Luke Shaw to COVID before the game. And those two changes 
I think were definitive. Like losing those two players in terms of what they do good, you know, their, their, their skill set, they've not always been great, but they would have helped a lot more in the system. But it's very, very difficult day for, for Harry Maguire because I think everything around him was chaotic and he can't run to get the recovery pace back. He hasn't got it. It's not in his armour. And that makes it very, very tricky for United. And that's the thing with Maguire, and we will talk about him a little bit later on, Rob, but um, you know, you, you don't have to be quick to be a top centre-back. There's a lot of centre-backs that didn't have the pace. But I think it's you all... do now. I, I, think, I, honestly, I think that's hold on, changed. Hold on, hold on. Let, I... me, let me make a point. Yeah. Let me make a point. You know, I, I think pace is important in the modern game, but it's also, like you mentioned here, it's about being mentally quick, and him, uh, and he doesn't have that, in my opinion. Great ball progressor. When, when United obviously have possession, he is a big part of starting the attacks. But fundamentally, as a defender, you know, you need to be able to do what, you know, what is going on behind you, being able to cover, being able to be quick and serve in terms of your decision making. And he's showing as the season has gone on that he, he's not a top centre back. And if United want to play, whether it's with Ten Hag, whether it's Pochettino, whether it's Enrique, all these managers are going to want to play a high line and they're going to want their centre backs to be very good in one-on-one duels, to be quick, to be mobile, to win the ball back and start attacks. And Harry Maguire is very deficient. Lindelof as well, who I think has had a good season, but he's deficient in that in that area as well. United are going to have to bring in a new centre-back, whichever manager comes in. And they're going to have to do that because they're not quick. It's kind of as simple as that. I don't think Lindelof and Maguire are unintelligible footballers. They're not. They're actually pretty good ball progressors when they play that game. So Harry Maguire last year was one of the best ball progressors in Europe. So the stats don't lie with that. Harry Maguire can do that. The problem is Harry is slow. So I think in the modern game, you just don't get away with it, Haydar. The game is too quick now. Before you've even thought, like you look at this lot in this slide here, De Bruyne, Foden, Grealish, Silva. They are going to kill you in less than one second. They can make two passes within a split second and you're dead. And the only way you can stop it is by being quick. So this is why Virgil van Dijk can do it, because Virgil van Dijk is a thinker, but is also just physically quick enough. So this is the issue for Lindelof and Maguire, and it was for the partnership last year, is that you've gone and bought Varane to try and help that. But I think what we've seen now is that you're going to have to get rid of one of these two, if not both. They cannot be starters in the future for Manchester United. We'll talk a bit, little bit more about Harry Maguire after we've done this segment on the game. But I don't think that you can expect Varane to look after one of these two week after week after week because they're just slow. So, you know, Victor Lindelof with the goal, as we said there, when he missed the header for Foden. So Foden does well to get his foot there to get the ball going forward into the box. But Lindelof just kind of just, just jogs back in. What's that all about? It's because Lindelof knows he hasn't got the pace to get back, so he just doesn't try. So that's a problem. You need to solve this through sheer power and raw aggression. You need someone to come in who is quick, who understands that they're quick and can do it. Ideally, Eric Bailly would be a good choice for that. But Eric Bailly's game is so deficient in terms of what he mentally does that he's not a choice, is he? He's not really a player who could do that. If Phil Jones was a bit younger and didn't get hurt and injured he could be an answer he's got pace he you know he is brave he would push up but he makes mistakes so all of these things kind of dictate Haydar that you gotta go into the transfer market it's the only way to do it could Mengi do it could Tuanzebi do it the answer to that is yes but there's a big curve for them to become answers to this Manchester United defence 
And we have Glazonomics, Rob. We always have to take that into consideration. It's much cheaper to give Phil Jones a new contract rather than go and spend a lot of money, 60 million, let's say, on the new centre back, give him a five year contract, you know, sign on bonus, etc., agent fees. So that's why these players who are you know, who should be shifted on at Manchester United get given bigger contracts because it's cheaper to do that than it is to go and buy top centre backs, unfortunately. And mm. that's United are in that situation. But let's move on to the second graphic here. You know, as we've said throughout this podcast, you know, City targeted Wambasaka and Lindelof. They overload, uh, overload those wide areas. Uh, yeah. You know, they absolutely exploited the channel as well in those half spaces. And, you know, t- was it two of the goals or three of the goals came from that left-hand side? And it was just, it, it, you know, Pep had figured that out and it was just a pattern throughout the game. City kept on doing that. And uh, look, Man United got destroyed in the end. Yeah, look, again, I think a kind of... Uh, just looking at the kind of slide here and, and the setup, and you could see what what City ended up doing in terms of their answering with it is that Foden just decided that he was going to stay in that free role. And I think what Pep does as well, and he does it really, really well, and Man United do not do this well, is that they allow Rodri to kind of anchor up a little bit further up when there's, when they've got the ball. You can see here where Rodri's playing. And what Rodri's doing is he's just kind of in the middle of the space there of Man United's front two and middle two. And he just sits there. Like the whole game, he just sat there. He didn't really move a lot, but it just allows like an expression of freedom and again this is when we talk about engines and motors and being physically competent Manchester City they're all exactly the same they're like carbon copy Pep Guardiola soldiers aren't they it's like he kind of takes them away formulates them and turns them into what he wants now I could see that if Ranić was the manager long term that he could do that for Man United I think he could formulate a squad that does all the things of gegenpressing and gegenpressing is absolutely the heartbeat of all the top teams in the world now you don't get anyone that sits off anymore plays low blocks or does Mourinhoisms they don't win that's why it doesn't work you play this kind of counterpressing style but it showed here as well with City that this this is how they started to take the game over this was early in the match but the shape showed City's intentions that they were going to go and occupy the forward spaces and kind of, you know, really play up against the Man United back four and cause problems. A good point about Rodri, actually. Look, I mean, you can see how far he's sitting there. Um, You know, obviously he's just, who's that? He's behind Pogba. But the reason, Rob, he can do that is because one, Laporte and Stones, he trusts their pace and their reading of the game. And also you can see Walk and Cancelo push up as well. And uh, that's the reason why. And, and Rodri's a very good passer, you know, very underrated qualities of his game, breaks the lines. And, uh, you know, what what United couldn't deal with, I mean, the amount of times, Rob, that Foden out and De Bruyne out-muscled Lindelof and Maguire, it's, imp- yeah. it's embarrassing. And if you're going to lose those battles and, the, and those second balls, you know, United are always going to struggle. I'm going to yeah. move on to the next slide as well, just to reiterate as well. Now, this is a really, really um, telling slide, isn't it? Again, you can see obviously Cancelo's pushed, pushed up. Grealish has taken more of a central position. Laporte was finding Grealish consistently. And, uh, you know, look at Cancelo. Look how free he is. And this happened time and time again in the second half. It did. And this is how the, how City exploited United's lack of nuance in their shape. So this is still the 4-2-2-2, but it kind of was switching to a 4-3-3 and Ranić was trying that in the game. He did it two or three times where they went to a a basic 4-3-3, but then just were getting outgunned. And you look at someone like Laporte here, he knows in terms of, can I make this pass? Who have I got on here? So he could get that ball to feet there to Grealish, to Foden, but it's the Cancelo overlap. 
this is where Man United do this really poorly in the opposite end. Fullbacks have to overlap. If you overlap, you open up the space. So the one time that Man United did it really well was for Jaden Sancho's goal, was that there was an overlap. Jaden saw the overlap and brings it inside because he knows that the defence is going to go like that. It's going to open up space for him to shoot. But when you look at City and you look at how, again, they play the numbers game, Grealish, Silva and Concello are so so close to each other. So look where Aaron Wambasaka is. So Aaron Wambasaka is not looking at one player. He's looking at three. And what's Aaron thinking? He's thinking, what do I do here? How do I react? Now, he could do one, one or two things. He could drop deeper, but then he's playing everyone on side. So he doesn't want to do that. Does he go to Concello or does he go to Silva and then leave Grealish just to run that middle channel? Well, neither of that is ideal either. It's difficult, isn't it? But when you look at the shape there again and you look at what Lindelof should be doing, Lindelof, Maguire and Teller should be shuffling across to make sure that back four is tighter. So if anyone runs, you've got a chance at least of keeping up with them. And looking at this shape here, you know, I had no chance. This, the overload is so pronounced and so difficult to deal with that you can't do anything. Aaron Wambasaka can do nothing here. But the problem there is the back four again is communication. And this is why, you know, we're talking about it there and you just saying about sign-ins and the Glazers and all of this. The Glazers have bought plenty, Haydar. They've spent 1.2 billion. So yeah, they, they do go out. They went and bought Harry Maguire for 80 million quid, a world record fee. So they do go and spend the money. It's just what do you spend the money on? What are you looking for? You know, there's players that they could have got over the last 10 years that would have made sure Man United won a lot more trophies than they did. And that's because the Glazers didn't buy those players. So when you look at Aaron Wambasaka and you say, well, you cost 50 million quid, mate. Whose fault is that? It's not Aaron Wambasaka's fault. It's not any of the manager's faults. It's the board. When Harry Maguire cost a world record fee and you look at the other end and you look at Laporte and you look at Stones, who would both start ahead of him at Man United, wouldn't they? You know, if you had John Stones, John Stones would be the starter at Man United, but can't get in the team uh, at Man City unless Diaz is injured at the moment you'd be saying, yeah, those players would play ahead of them. So this is the issue, is that they will go and spend big, you see, in the summer, Haydar. They will. They'll spend a ton of money and they'll wag their fingers at all of at all of us and all the people watching this show today and they'll say, look, we do spend money. Look, we gave Ronaldo £25 million to come to this football club this year. You lot shut up because we just bought the best player of all time. It doesn't work. It's a bad strategy because you're not building from the foundations up. It's like they're putting the windows in the house first and then deciding to build all the bricks. And it just simply doesn't work. Yeah, spot on. Couldn't agree more. And uh, look, we, we spoke about mobility a lot with yeah. Manchester United. And this back line lacks that in space. I, mean, I think Wan-Bissaka has mobility, but the two centre-backs yeah. don't. Tellez is not great, you know, when, on the back foot. But that was the biggest problem is that, you know, United can do this for what for a half you know 60 minutes at a push yeah but they 30 just to 45 minutes yeah kind yeah, of let's, yeah 60 is a bit of a push let's say 30 to 40 minutes um but they're just not mobile enough are they to to kind no. of press city shape and uh look i mean just look at the the triangles that city do create as well and, and Cancelo and you know wan had a really difficult time and they exploited him time and time again 
Yeah, totally. And it, and it was deliberate, you know, so they looked at that. They probably looked at their kind of plans from last year and said, right, we're a Man United really weak. All right, this guy, Aaron Wan-Bissaka, we can get him and we can definitely get him if he hasn't got Varane inside him, if he's got Lindelof who can't run. So this what this slide really showed at 3-1 with 73 minutes. This is kind of where United mentally capitulated. And you could see this, the mid-block just disappeared. So looking at United's shape here, you look at that back four again, doing what it's been doing the whole game. But you can see that United's midfield is completely overrun now. City got a kind of back three there in shape, just kind of protecting. But you've got, I think it's Bruno at the top end. Obviously, Pogba went off just before then. And United's ability to win the ball back had completely disappeared. So that was the end of the game, really. So I think Ranić was right after the match because he he said when it was put to him, they said, you know, did United just have a lack of effort in that last 15, 20 minutes? And he said, no, I don't see it as a lack of effort. It's just kind of they were completely shot at that point. It was very difficult to get back in the game because tactically and technically City were way ahead of the curve and City were just were just balling at this stage weren't they it's kind of like three or four of them quick passes we're through your mid block your mid blocker doesn't work anymore your back four is standing off now in the first half Man United's back four was trying to be brave pushing up up to the halfway line trying to be tight at this point they were scared they were going back Lindelof's going I'm not having a good afternoon Maguire's going I still can't run and Wambasaka's going, well, I've got to mark three players here. What do I do? I will also say about Tellers, not mention Tellers in any of this, but he was also bad. Didn't really help Maguire. Didn't drop him when he needed to. Didn't push up when he needed to over the whole game. He did overlap, I think, for uh, for the goal. But besides that, just not really good enough. No, and uh, this graphic here, we'll quickly touch on it. Um, you know, United going 4-3-3. Uh, from uh, four two two two, and um, look, Ranit was changing, wasn't he, consistently? And that's fine yeah. because you want fluidity, and you want uh, you know your team to be able to play multiple systems. Um, but uh, you know, he was just trying, wasn't he, consistently to try and stem the, the you know the city attack. It was just sustained pressure after pressure after pressure. You know, com it was almost like the same the same move, wasn't it, consistently get into the wide area, that, especially that left hand channel, exploit it, overload it, and uh, look to play you know, crosses inside, the balls inside, accurate passes. I mean, I actually want to talk quickly about the goal that Morris scored, the the second, uh, the, his first goal, sorry, Rob. I mean, that was just, he just switched off. He should never have been allowed to have a shot like that. I mean, it was a fantastic finish. What a great goal. But it's just, uh, it's it's just switching off mentally all the time, making these mistakes. And, uh, you know, it was just a, a poor performance. It's players living in uh, inside their own heads. I talk about it a lot because they're going up, well, this is my job. So I'm going to do this from a set piece. I got told to do X, Y, and Z. So I'm doing X, Y, and Z. So that's all right, isn't it? And then you kind of look at that goal and what did City do? What they did is chip the ball to the edge of the box. Just That's it. They didn't do anything brilliant. They just did it. And then you're giving Maris a chance, aren't you? You could see that they did a kind of basketball screen where the two players who would have come and addressed uh, Maris just got physically checked. I think Marcus Rashford was one of them. So it, it, was, it was a horrible moment. But again... That goal comes out where where Maguire, I think, gets a touch on the ball, but doesn't really help. Doesn't make himself big, doesn't show, doesn't sprint out. Why? Because he can't sprint. That's a problem. So I, I think for that goal, it, it was just, again, endemic of United's weaknesses. Just looking at this slide here, I'll talk a little bit more about the two tens at the very, very top end of the pitch. Because I think that if you play this team and this system against most teams in the Premier League, I think it works a charm. I think this 4-2-2-2 against a lesser team 
would have worked. So people talked about Pogba being at the top end. I agree with what you're saying. He didn't look particularly comfortable off ball because it's not he doesn't play the position that much. But on ball, he's really, really good. You get the ball to his feet, you can do something. Nice retention, but, yeah. Held the ball up nicely. You have got to also understand that this is the best team in the world they're playing. Like, forget it. This is Man City. They are the most drilled team in the country. We're Liverpool. So Liverpool and City do this for fun. You know, so they would have had an idea that United would have tried this system. Now, this does not mean that in the weeks to come that Bruno can't play a full nine. This does not mean that Paul Pogba cannot be part of the attack. It just means that you have to do it against teams that are maybe not as good as Man City. So I would like to see this like pursued. And I know that Man United fans watching this will we'll be the opposite. They'll be like, no, I don't want to see that ever again. But I get the funny feeling it would work because it allows Sancho and Alanga to run those channels and it means you can get bodies forward quickly. One last note to kind of end this. Before the Man City game, Man United under Ralph Ranick have had more shots on target than any team in the league. Any team. More than Man City and more than Liverpool. So it does show that the systems and the changes have worked. What hasn't worked, Haydar? This lot putting the ball in the net. And again, we had it again. Like Sancho did score that goal. And I thought he took it well. But then he had another good, uh, guilt-edged opportunity, didn't he, where he blazed it over the crossbar. Yeah, he and, I actually, and I actually wanted Bruno there to just take a, a, a touch out and shoot himself because he's in the box. And you think, yeah, just drill it low. You don't, you don't need the extra pass then. But this is the problem with Man United. And Ranick again has said it, is that individuals in the moment when they've got that opportunity to score you a goal have not taken that chance, whether that be Cristiano Ronaldo or any of the, you know, going back all the way to the defenders. Literally everyone has failed in that moment in the box. But the system has shown that you can get shots off. Absolutely. Lovely comment here saying, truly one of the best channels out there. Keep pushing, guys. We need more of this content. Guys, tell us what you want to hear, what you want to talk about, and uh, we'll do it. We'll, you know, we, we want to be forward thinking, don't we, Rob? We don't want to just be sitting here and reacting to games. And that's why we record a day after, allows us to collect our thoughts, allows us to prepare like this, making sure that we're providing the best content that we can, well researched. And, uh, you know, now we are going to look forward to Eric Ten Hag. And the reason why we're going to talk about Eric Ten Hag, and we have, I have actually done a show with Karen Tejwani, who's writ, right, who's just written a, who is writing a book on Ajax and the revolution. Definitely check that podcast out. Uh, you know, it was a great insight into Eric Ten Hag in terms of some of his philosophies, his uh, journey up to where he where he is now, obviously, at Ajax. And uh, he looks like he is now the front runner when with United looking to make that appointment or at least announce the appointment, Rob, in the next, let's say, three weeks. Eric Ten Hag now with Overmars gone, that's made him probably an easier option than trying to get, PS to get uh, Pochettino out of PSG. But when we talk about Eric Ten Hag, I look at this squad and I just think that, um, look, if you back him, you know, I've got a fantastic tactician, someone that can really build a lovely brand of football and, and build a football club. But I look at the squad and there's so many deficiencies. The midfield's a problem. The fullbacks are an issue in terms of being comfortable on the ball. Uh, defensively, the centre-backs are slow. Uh, they're good on the ball, but they're slow. United don't have a striker as well. Although, you know, we did see Ten Hag play with uh, with Tadic and you could maybe play the Bruno Fernandes role there. There are some players that will benefit from him. I think Donny van der Beek would be happy to see Eric Ten Hag come in obviously, but uh, we're going to talk about three players and th this is actually your opinion and, and I agree with all three. I, I genuinely agree with all three players that you've Let's do mentioned. it one at a time. Let's we'll do, do one, one at a time. time. So I'm going to let you go first um, and I'll, I want you to tell the listeners who's the first player that Ten Hag will need to sell if he is to go forward and build a team that's capable of challenging. Well, let's note it like this to start off with. This squad is not going to sell squad. We know that. This squad 
does not work under Eric Ten Hag. It just does not. It does not. It does not have the technicality. It does not have the physicality. It doesn't have the the mentality. It's it's miles off what Eric Ten Hag would demand. Now you expect that sometimes in transition, but this is why it's difficult to try and take one manager and go to the next. It can, it's this is it's all very complicated. It's a Rubik's cube. The first player that that I think Manchester United do need to sell now, and it's a player I've lauded before, and we've just talked about him, unfortunately for him, is the captain. So I think with Harry Maguire, his time at Manchester United has come to an end for, for several reasons. Um, I think last year he had a really good season. He helped United. He led United through tougher times. Um, United's uh, away record has been phenomenal. I think they've only lost, I think, two games in two years away from home. So it shows that he's helped towards those things. His form was good last season. And then it kind of this year has fallen off the edge, both, I think, through injury and maybe through changes of personnel at the back. He's not getting any younger. He's not getting any quicker. That's a problem. You know what shocked me, Rob? He's 29. I didn't realise how old he was. Yeah, he's 29. And and the thing is, is that his physicality is only going to go down. So we did see yesterday in that game of some of Man City's more waif-like players, maybe the Bernardo Silvers and the Phil Foden's, just absolutely push them off a side. Yeah, Lindelof and Maguire. So for me, you've got to look at the big wage earners. Yeah, if you're going to restructure this so you can give Ten Hag the weapons next year, and I guarantee United will buy. Like, this is not going to be some budget-friendly job and United go, oh, you can have someone for 10 million. It won't happen like that. United will go out and buy what they believe is the best in class. That's what they try and do. But it's whether they get the best in class. That's something completely different. I think that Eric Ten Hag is going to look at the centre-back and say... I like Varane and what Varane can do. Like Varane himself's not getting any younger. And I think the injuries are a concern because he can't stay fit. That is an issue. But when you look at Maguire, you look at Lindelof, I think you could probably retain Lindelof. I think you'd probably move out Baye. I think you'd probably move out Phil Jones. And I think that you have to now move out Harry Maguire. He is not going to really improve. His form might get better and he might finish the season well. Like he really might. He might kind of get it together somehow and it might all work out for him. But can you progress? Can next year Harry Maguire become a title-winning centre-back? I think because that's a big fundamental question and it needs answering, the answer to that, unfortunately, when you project, is no. I, I have to agree with that. And it's not like Maguire is an awful player, Rob. You know, he has his has some really great ball-playing abilities and progression. He, he does, but the problem is the mobility aspect of it. And you can't really play that high line that you want to because you always have whoever's playing centre back next to him always has to be be careful be mindful of yeah. the fact that Harry requires is slow and lacks mobility and stick him yeah, back in Leicester's team and, and he'll yeah. look great. Like he will. Yeah. Like this is the thing. You put him in another team, put him in Wolves back line and yeah, people will say good. he's worth 80 million quid. They would because just because everything's in front different. of him. That's why. Exactly. So it, this is the whole thing is that there is, it is different for Manchester United. There is a difference. And again, I, I wanted him at the football club when he came, because if United were going to play a certain style of football, and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, it might've worked. Ole is gone now. You're looking towards Ten Hag. There is no way that Maguire will work under Ten Hag. It just won't. Next player, Rob. I'm going to let you talk about him. Uh, I don't think this one's going to come as much of a surprise. I agree with it. The, the experiment hasn't worked. I'm sure people know who we're going to talk about. Experiment hasn't worked. Don't get me wrong. One of the happiest days seeing him come back. And I, I won't apologise for that because he was my absolute favourite player, barring David Beckham, you know, growing up. But um, it hasn't worked. Age has caught up with him. 
he doesn't fit the, the the sort of the pressing system. Any manager, whether it's Pochettino or, or Ten Hag, will want to be able to press from the front. They need more mobility, and uh, you know, it's just it's just age, isn't it? It's just age. He's been an amazing player, one of the greatest of all time, if not the greatest of all time. But if Man United want to move forward and and build a team with sustainability and uh, you know which has youth in it, then they have to move away from you know the goat, really. Well. If Man United want to sign some new players, which is what we're talking about here, and you want to give Ten Hag a chance in the transfer market, you need to get this £50 million contract off the books. 50 million quid they're paying him to not be able to press. So he scored, I think, 15 goals in 30 games. Is that something right? Something like that, I think, overall this year. I think that's the figure. So he's got a one in two strike weight. It's kind of normal. It's not that bad, really. He's not really been scoring goals recently. We know he wasn't available for the game yesterday. What we'll just say about that is Cristiano Ronaldo was injured. Yeah. So forget everything you've read and that you've heard. He did have a hip flexor issue. That's been confirmed. So forget the whole narrative again that Ronaldo didn't want to play. I don't believe that for one second and didn't when I first heard it either. It's just what it is. It's just, again, uh, kind of press talk. But I think with Cristiano, it, it's, it was always a short-term thing and there was always a lot of risk involved. And what we've seen is that risk got Ole Gunnar Solskjaer the sack. It did. It, it, was, it was a huge part of it. And I think when you look at what Man United do now, like we're, United are now trying to gag and press. They're trying to do counter-pressing. At the start of the season, they weren't. It wasn't even a word. Man United fans didn't know what Gagan pressing meant. So here we are now trying a complete cultural shift, doing it with a 37-year-old striker, with his backup being a 34-year-old striker. Mm, doesn't work, does it? So you don't need to be a genius to look at these things and say this is what you need to do and what you shouldn't do. Man United will need to release Ronaldo off this contract. There's no doubt about it. So you paid a fee for him. You got him into the football club. You've paid him £25 million this year. You cannot pay him £25 million next year. You cannot get that book, get that book sorted, get him off the books and find a way to reinvest that. Because you can go and get two very, very good strikers on £10 million quid a year, Haydar, and sell a £5 million in the bank. And United would be a better team. Not because you've got better strikers, but just because you've got strikers that do what they're supposed to do. It's not really Cristiano's fault. I'm not going to sit here and slag him off and have a go at Cristiano. That's not what this is about. People will say, you never wanted him, Rob. You never liked him and all this stuff. Again, it doesn't matter. This is about tactics. The next manager will want a mobile striker. I would not be surprised. This sounds funny. If if Ten Hag comes back, it comes into the team. Haller? And plays you think it'll be Haller? No, 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 no. If he plays four-three-three, it might look completely different to what Man United fans have ever really thought. Because four-three-three is such a flexible system about how you play it, and it's going to be talking about the next player that I talk about in a second because he's part of this conversation. But you could see Anthony Martial working that free, just because of the way he plays in, in a kind of full I, I style. He won't play high up. He will he will play a more technical style off the back four. Yeah. So that suits Ten Hag. Ten Hag likes that kind of game. You might see that it's, it's Martial one side, Van der Beek the other side, and, and a proper number nine. So you talked about Haller, but a Haller-style player. So you might see that as a front three. Now, today we'd be like, what's that all about? You might see it that Jaden Sancho 
ends up being a false player at the top. Or you might see in that three that Bruno Fernandes does that job through the middle because that's exactly what Ajax do. Ajax play those kind of systems. They yeah, do Tadic, it. You know, they rotate yeah. through it. You play it with Tadic. Tadic is very similar in, I think, mindset to Fernandes. You know, in, something, something actually very, very um, interesting about Tadic as well is that people say that Bruno Fernandes wouldn't fit into Ten Hag's system. Well, if you look at the pass accuracy, they're very, very similar. So they're players that obviously try things. They're two players that uh, aren't the best in terms of the economical in terms of being on the ball I and mean, bruno does frustrate the hell out of me rob yeah. the amount of times that he does the uh like he, he does the hero ball instead of playing oh, the right wow. one uh, just whinging and moaning and i love bruno fernandez but it's very frustrating but i, I do think he's got a place in ten Hag's system but i he actually has. think if he's gonna play i don't think he's gonna play number 10 he's i think you know maybe someone like van der beek but um let's move on to the final player because we have mentioned martial i know there's people that want to talk about david de Gea. we spoke about david de Gea last week I i'm going to go on record and saying that i don't think united should give him a long-term contract i think united should sell henderson and get another keeper and then phase the hair out over the year that's my opinion there is issues with the hair's um distribution he's at the top you know for shot stopping he's at the bottom for distribution coming off his line i thought the mares goal he could have come off his line quicker and made himself bigger you know, that's what Edison did, didn't he, for who had the shot? I can't remember now. It was against Bruno, I think. He came off his line and mm -hmm. made that save. The hair is a problem, but I don't think he is the biggest problem, in my opinion. And that's fine. Other people might think that. But, Rob, the final player, you've mentioned what? Martial. Yeah. Who is well, it? The hair is like problem number seven or eight. And this player we're about to talk about is much higher up in the problem stake. And the player that Manchester United should consider selling, uh, I think now at this stage, again, you're looking at impact and effectiveness, is Marcus Rashford. So this is, again, you know, this is not me trying to prove that I'm neutral or that kind of like, you know, there's a hot take in here somewhere and that's what we're going for. I think that Man United star players, they're big earners, they're big wage earners, must impact winning. Harry Maguire is not impacting winning, he's impacting losing. Cristiano Ronaldo, he will score goals, but he's not impacting winning either. And then you've got Marcus. So, you know, this is not a character assassination or any of those kind of things. Marcus is on a big deal already, and he'll be on an even bigger deal if he stays. Now, he has effectively got 12 months left of that contract. So it, it ends in 12 months. However, United have an option. So United will almost definitely invoke the option. So it kind of means that there's two years it gives United time. But I, I don't believe for one second Marcus Rashford wants to lose the football club. I really do not believe that. But Marcus Rashford's form has gone out the window. So I think that this has been a long-term accumulation issue, Haydar. He spent two years playing injured for Man United. Yeah. And he's never been able to recover his form. Now, I've had loads of people tweet me, tons. People go, ah, oh, well, he decided to go to play for England. He decided to not have his operation last year, blah, 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 blah. Well, footballers that care do that. You know, they put their body on the line and they say, I'm not going to take the operation. I want to play. He went with England to the Euros. He wants to win the Euros. Now, United fans don't care about that. United fans will be like, well, what not? But he's an England player. He's one of England's top stars so he wants to go and play that i understand it whether i agree with it or not but i think now we've just kind of got over the hill with it haydar and his form has crashed because of all the change at man united you know a lot of what solskjaer did in that 4-2-3-1 was about utilizing marcus rashford to the side of a striker yeah i think we can kind of all agree on that wasn't it that was that was how it worked it was about martial maybe through the middle rashi running that kind of a narrow channel and having those connections on the football pitch. Now that's gone because we're playing a different style. There's no doubt that Marcus Rashford's physicality is through the floor. 
He can't do this gagging pressing. He can't do it mentally or physically. Makes bad choices when he has to go and press, but actually physically can't do it. And you see, and I don't know what it is. You see, he kind of almost pulls up and goes. Yeah, maybe he needs a little bit of a change, Rob. Sometimes that's what you need. New environment. He oh, might I, need a change. Or, or he yeah. might just need a new manager. Might just need a manager that comes in again and says, well, do you know what? You're good at this, 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 and this. So we'll do a little bit more of that. But you're not so good at that and that. And we'll work on that and we'll give it a year. Now, that's what happened. So, like, Donny van der Beek was at the football club for 18 months. And that was what he was told, but it never worked out. So he's gone to Everton. But his dream might be about to happen. Because if, if Ten Hag gets the job, Donny van der Beek comes back straight away overnight. It's just what it is. It's You know, he's his boy. But Marcus Rashford, does Marcus Rashford fit an Eric Ten Hag system? The answer to that is no, he doesn't. In the way that Martial might fit it, Rashford might not fit it. And that's the problem because Marcus is all about straight line speed. Marcus isn't about precision, is it? Whereas, whereas you know, Anthony Martial on his day is a baller. You know, he, he can play one-touch football in and around that box and combine with Sancho, combine with a striker. They can play almost with three tens at the very end of the top end of the pitch. Marcus Rashford cannot be part of a three ten system. This is why he's not walked back into the team now with United playing a full striker in, in Bruno because Marcus doesn't fit that, just doesn't fit it. You'd have him wide... But then he's not going to cover the fullback because he can't get up and down. So I think that Marcus's time at Man United is running out because when the contract's running low, United are going to have to decide that do we give this guy 300, pounds a week to stay for another four or five years? Yes, he suits the brand. Yes, he's a Mancunian icon. Yes, he's a great guy. He's all those things. But it's about winning, Haydar. You have players that help you win and this is where the glazers have got to get smart is that every transfer every player that comes into the club and every player that goes out has to be about winning not what number they're wearing and what their name says and how much it costs to put it on a back of a shirt because this is the problem so united have done this for too long they've done it the wrong way for just years and years and years and you now have to start clearing the ranks so if you lost maguire you lost ronaldo and you lost Rashford. That's three big players. Yeah, a million, isn't it, off your wage bill? Wage bill. But it, it, it's a million quid off your wage bill a, a week. week. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, so 52 million a year, if not more. So come on, this is the thing. So this is when we talk about the business of football. You have to consider these things because the, the Glazers do. And and we've got to stop going down this path, Haydar, of the Glazers don't spend money on transfers. They do. No, they spend badly club, on transfers. They spend badly they don't listen and, to the and, football and, they don't have football men in footballing positions they don't listen to you know it's about shirt sales that distinction is really important for fans because fans have just they they mug themselves off by saying they don't spend the money you spent 1.2 billion pound on a load of rubbish that is the difference so you have spent the money you've you've sacked manager after manager after manager for different reasons mainly because of underperformance and failure but it's because of the plays that you've bought it's kind of as simple as that. I, I hear it now, like people talk about da like uh, Daily Blind. I heard it the other day, people were like, oh, we'll keep Daily Blind. You know, we should have kept him. No, at the time, he wasn't helping you win. So you had to get rid. You know, you look at players through that eight-year period, and this has been the story of every player, is that when you got rid of Alexis Sanchez, you bought him to help you win, and he didn't help you win, so you got rid of him. And you did it with Romelu Lukaku, and you got rid of him. And it's just every player. Angel Di Maria, you know, Radamel Falcao, you know, Schweinsteiger, Schneiderlin, you've done it to all of them. They were all like the right signings at that moment in time for whatever reason, but they weren't the right signings. You picked the wrong player. Whereas City go and buy 
a Bernardo Silva and you see the impact a player like that has. A Riyad Mahrez, you know, you see the impact. You see what Kante's done at, at Chelsea. You've just got to go and buy the right players. Shorter. You know, all these players. Liverpool, I've just said it again. I've done my other podcast. Luis Diaz about, looks a right player, Luis Rob. It's Luis Diaz is, but Yeah, and, and, and not one Man United fan has ever tweeted me and said, do you think United should buy Luis Diaz? Now, they've said it about other top players all the time. You get you get United fans tweeting me kind of going, oh, we should go and buy Haaland, of course. You know, someone like that or that ilk. Go and get Lewandowski, you know, from Bayern Munich. Give him a year or two. You get all of that all the time because United fans are very dialed into that way of thinking about superstars. And this is why the Glazers buy these players because they want to sell these shirts. But the truth is, is that you need to go and buy young, hungry players that can do it, that you can develop who are then going to go to the next level. And dare I say it, and I'm going to say it, United need to do it like Arsenal are doing it. Arsenal have gone and taken their primary young talent and they've gone, we're going to stick with these boys and push them forward. And a bummy yang, you're not helping on your bike. And you have to be like that. You have to be ruthless. They've, they've done a really, like, they've, they've done, look, Arteta, I always felt yeah. that Arteta had a little bit about him and a lot of people... We'll disagree with that but he, he, i always thought he had he, you know very early on he had a he had a system that he wanted to play he had, he had a style of play. he didn't have the players to do that he persisted they look they've been poor at times as well don't get me wrong but what they've really done is built it around odegaard they built around smith row saka they've made really good signs look ben white's been a good signing yeah. i think uh you know uh gabriel's a good signing and they're probably a striker away and, and a couple of other positions maybe a right back as well but uh i think rob before we wrap up let's just quickly couple of minutes what's the situation with Eric Ten Hag I'm sure the fans and the listeners want to want to hear what's going on with him he seems to have overtaken Pochettino now um you know I'd be very happy with either I, I've said this time and time again I always get tweets saying oh you want Pochettino you're an idiot all this sort of stuff that's fine whatever uh you know I will back either manager I think they're two great options for Manchester United I do have uh, slight concerns because this is a much bigger rebuild job than we thought probably what uh Two, three months ago, I didn't think it'd be that much of a rebuild as we're seeing now. But um, yeah, what is the latest on that? Because it does look like Ten Hag will probably go and you know, United possibly could be announcing that who the new manager is. They need to do it quickly because you can't be spending the whole summer waiting for the manager to come in, then chasing players, then end up getting Cavani 2.0 at the end of the transfer window. I don't think it will be quickly because you've still got Champions League to play for. So if you get knocked out of that and you crash down the league, then maybe yes. But even at the moment, you're falling out of the top four conversation, but you're still in it. So you can't undermine out Ralph Rennick as it stands. Where are we with Eric Ten Hag? Manchester United have made contact with Ajax and made contact with the manager. So that's where we stand. Um, and the first feelers I think that have been put out is that he is relatively keen. So that is the starting point of this conversation. The end point is to give him a contract that, that reflects that you believe in him, that you think that he is the long-term coach of Manchester United. Uh, we've talked about contracts before. So obviously someone like Conte, who's happy to do like two-year deals, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think Eric Ten Hag is going to come for a short-term deal here. He will want some real core guarantees. He will want guarantees about transfers and players He'll want guarantees about the length of his contract. He'll also want the guarantee that if it doesn't start off well, and I'm talking for like a year, Haydar. Which very much, I think that will be the case. It's going to be a slow start, especially if he doesn't get the players that he wants, Rob. It's because completely different style, possession-based, etc. Manchester United as a football club do understand how far they are behind the top two. 
They do understand it. They're not idiots. So even though they're not football people and we've just been giving them a hard time about the board's decisions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, the football club is totally aware that it needs to do this root and branch assessment. And this is really why Ralph Ranick was brought to the football club to be able to dig in deep, you know, burrow beneath the skin of Manchester United and find out what really is the problems. Because this board are kind of hapless with that. They they oversee it, but they don't really get it. You know, it's difficult for them, but they do also understand that Liverpool and City are miles ahead. So what do you do? You make the investment with the transfer market. You give the coach the contract he wants. It's going to have to be huge. He's going to get a huge contract out of it. Maybe one of the biggest in the world. It'll be up there with Guardiola and Klopp. There's no doubt about it, if not even bigger. Um, and United will definitely make a song and dance about getting this generational coach from Ajax. Do I doubt if Ten Hag could do anything with this squad? I do. I think this squad is problematic for him. I don't think we'll be able to play possession-based football with him. I do think we can play the 310 style. I do think we'll be able to do that. I think Van der Beek could come back and have an impact. But it's a lot of if, buts and maybes, Haydar. It really, really is. But as it stands, I think it is a race of one. I think it is Ten Hag or no one. I think the whole thing about Pochettino is that with his position at PSG, you never really know whether they want to sack him or not. And and if they do want to sack him, then it's do you want to saving face, though, Rob. They're not going to turn around, aren't they, in the media and say, oh, yeah, Pochettino as a season. It can very much change. If he lose to Real Madrid, you could see him out of the job. So it, yeah. then things change again. But uh, no, look. there's no way Ajax are going to say, oh, yeah, you can just have our manager and, no, and we'll announce not. it now. That's not going to happen. So this is the thing. If you want that manager, you are going to have to be patient. So this is why I've said all along, and I'll keep saying it, should have given the job, two-year contract to Ralph Ranić, give him the actual job and say, fix this, please. And then if it doesn't work, then we'll go for someone else. But the problem is, is that you're just going to wait at the bus stop for the next bus to come along. And if it doesn't come for 45 minutes or an hour, you're just going to sit there twiddling your thumbs. Now, Man United fans, unfortunately, have to take that as gospel. That's how it is. And that's what you're going to have to do with Ralph Ranić, uh, with, um, with Eric Ten Hag. But if he comes to the football club, it's going to take a lot longer than one transfer market. It's going to take maybe two, three, potentially four, because a lot of players that need to leave and you've actually got to go and bring the talent in that will come and do the job. And we're going to finish on that note, guys. Thank you so much for all your fantastic, insightful comments. Uh, it's been a really fantastic show. Make sure you give us a follow on at TF Masterclass. Give myself a follow on Hayda underscore Rabani. And give Rob a follow on at underscore Rob underscore B. Make sure you check out the podcast I did with Karen Tejwani on Eric Ten Hag. We will be doing one as well. Myself and Rob will be doing a Ten Hag one in the coming weeks. So make sure you hit the like button, hit the subscribe button. It's a difficult season, Rob. I think United, they knocked it out of the Champions League. That could be it for us for the season. But keep the faith and we'll see you all next time. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. 